social issues hung around Andrew Shear's neck like a stinking albatross, quite frankly. Throughout history, whenever great injustices existed, youth movements have risen up to combat and end those injustices. You have organizations out there like the Center for Bioethical Reform. The Center for Bioethical Reform. Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. Organizations like the Center for Bioethical Reform to receive public funds when they then use to attack a woman's right to choose. Abortion kills all kinds of people, so then all kinds of people can join the pro-life movement to save these babies. I was talking to a young man on the streets of Toronto. I spoke with a woman named Lucy about abortion. Today we were doing choice chain in downtown Regina. By the end of the conversation, she was completely pro-life. He then walked away 100% pro-life. Completely pro-life. We should remember that each of those babies that die every day in Canada not only have the right to life that's being violated, they also have the right to artifacts. Those opening words are the words of the one and only Peter McKay, a politician who did not win his bid to be the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Cam, isn't it ironic that McKay's comments about SOCONs, or social conservatives being a stinking albatross around Shear's neck, became this stinking albatross around his own? I think that that was just poetic justice, to be honest. Um, I, I think that it was so good to see that happen to him. I know there's a thing in sports, I play a lot of sports, there's being a bad loser and there's being a bad winner. And I'm sure that some would characterize me as being a sore winner um, with how gleeful I am that Peter McKay is not the new leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, but I am pretty darn fired up that he's not the leader of the Conservative Party. And it's interesting because I, so I, I love idioms. I love um, expressions in our culture and all that kind of stuff. I had never heard of what a stinking albatross around somebody's neck was. And I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, um, no, I'm not. But we did some mining here in the Calgary office to figure out what this was referring to because I've never seen anybody with an albatross around their neck and I had no idea what they were getting at. So we did a bunch of research here. My colleague Loretta dug up that this is a, a reference to the poem, The Rime of the Ancient Mariner, um, written in 1834 by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Um, it's a sweet poem for anybody who's got like 50 minutes to read it. It is lengthy and I would definitely encourage it. Um, but it was so funny. So we, we um, did all this mining. We found all this stuff out. I went home and I talked to my wife and I asked her if she knew anything about this line. And without sharing any context whatsoever, she was like, oh, yeah, no, that's, that's from that poem, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner um, by Samuel Taylor Coleridge. And it was that other line in, from there as well, water, water everywhere with not a drop to drink. And so obviously my wife is way smarter than I am and way more up on poetry. But we are going to dive into stinking albatrosses and why Peter McKay should not have considered SOCONs as the stinking albatross of the Conservative Party whatsoever. Because in our conversation that we're going to dive into with Alyssa, who I'm super fired up to talk to, um, SOCONs had a huge impact, I think it's fair to say, in this conservative leadership election. Yeah, that's right. Uh, as Cam referenced, we're going to be talking about the Conservative Party of Canada leadership race and election that just took place and have some analysis uh, by Alyssa Globe from right now. Welcome to the Pro-Life Guys. My name is Peter. That's Cam. And we are two guys who are passionate about ending the killing of preborn children in Canada. 
And this is a podcast dedicated to giving you the tools you need to change minds and save lives from abortion. We are so thankful you tuned in. We're humbled by the amount of support we've been receiving uh, and some pretty great feedback. Isn't that right, Cam? Oh, it, we've been getting a ton of good feedback. We love it. We get, we've been getting feedback not only about the content, but also about our little graphics that we have for all the different people. Um, yeah, that's one right. of the cool people ones. Love those. <laughs> oh, man, people love the graphics. And, and we love our graphic designer. She's incredible. Um, one of the neat ones, um, buddy of mine, Jeff, who's like super involved in politics in Calgary and throughout Alberta, uh, messaged me a couple days ago to just say, hey, Cam, super loving the podcast. Keep up the good work. That was really cool to hear because Jeff is a... Uh, a very influential person. And in my humble opinion, he knows a ton. And to know that he's hanging out with us on the Pro-Life Guys podcast is pretty darn special to me. And someone else who's influential in the pro-life movement is Catherine from Windsor. She says, I was able to listen to the whole podcast as I was driving around this morning. I loved the refresher on so many good conversation tools. Thank you so much, Catherine. Uh, we also heard from Tony, uh, who is a CastBox user. Uh, Tony, you're close to my heart because I also am a CastBox user. That's my podcast platform. He writes, absolutely inspiring and refreshing. Please keep up the great work. Well, Tony, thank you so much for the feedback. We certainly do hope to keep up the great work and comments like that are motivating uh, and certainly do help us along. So thank you so much for that. Just for for everyone who's listening, um, we've heard that there are people who have been listening in some pretty cool places around the world. So let us know where you've been listening from. You can do that in a number of ways. You can find us on social media, on Instagram, at ProLifeGuys. You can find us on Facebook. Just type in the ProLifeGuys podcast. You can send us a comment on our website, www.ProLifeGuys.com. Let us know where you're listening from. We would love to to hear from you. Even beyond that, like if you see us doing activism, we got activism teams going across the country, come and chat with our activism teams. Like that would be the coolest way ever to learn about where you're from is because we want to get more people involved. And so don't feel like if you come and talk to our team members that they're going to rope you in for life, but like chat with our team members because they're even cooler than Peter and I are. <laughs> That's right. Now, for those of you who are listening, who are not in Canada, as we've mentioned before, we We are from Canada. Uh, A lot of the work that we do is in Canada, not solely, but certainly a lot of it. Uh, And today's conversation is going to be quite Canada focused. We we try to make our conversations uh, accessible to those around the globe. Uh, But today we're focusing on the Canadian Conservative Party of Canada uh, election that just happened yesterday or two days ago by the time you listen to this recording uh, or, or by the time we release it, rather, you can listen to it whatever you want. You can listen to it a year from now. Uh, and uh, <laughs> um, now, you know, some of this stuff might not be relevant to you. You might not know a lot of the names that we're mentioning. Uh, but in some ways, in many ways, actually, uh, the content we're go- that we're going to share is relevant uh, in that we talk to Alyssa Globe, uh, who we're going to introduce in just a moment about what pro-lifers can do uh, in the democratic pro- process, what pro-lifers can do in the political sphere, in the political world. Uh, I know some people absolutely hate that world. Uh, I know I'm not very prone uh, to being active in it, but there's a lot of good stuff. If we want to expect, uh, if we expect rather pro-life leaders to do pro-life things, pass pro-life legislation, have pro-life conversations in parliament, in the places of power, then we need to be available and we need to be um ready and willing to have conversations with them, to support them, to be behind the scenes, on the ground, grass doing the grassroots work 
Uh, and that's something Alyssa talks about uh, in this episode. So thank you so much for joining. Anything else, Cam? No, that that has wet my wicket for wanting to hear more about this podcast. I, I'm excited. Alyssa's a great friend of mine. Um, she lives in Calgary now, which is sweet um, because I get to see her somewhat regularly and I help her move every time she has to move. And it's great. She's wonderful. She's so knowledgeable and she's a champ within the political sphere of Canada's pro-life movement. And so for those Americans, don't worry, we're not talking about toques and kerfuffles or anything like that. We're just talking about Canadian politics. Well, let's get on with it. Well, today we are joined by Alyssa Globe, a Canadian pro-life activist and the co-founder of Right Now, a group dedicated to nominating and electing pro-life candidates across the country who will pass life-saving pro-life legislation. Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Could you start us off by telling our listeners a little bit about who you are, how you got involved in the pro-life movement, and what your organization Right Now is? Sure. Well, I got involved in the pro-life movement when I was 13. Um, a friend had invited me to do the Show the Truth tour with her. So that was my first exposure to graphic images as someone going into grade nine. And that really motivated me, I think, to become more actively involved in the pro-life movement. Um, you know, Show the Truth tour has a little bit more graphic imagery, I think, than what CCBR uses because they use uh, late-term abortion photos as well. So that was also very shocking just because I didn't know what the law was at the time or that these things even happened. Um, so that's how I became involved and that's kind of where I got my passion from. And I had different experiences along the way, like a friend of mine in high school got pregnant and had an abortion in grade 10. And, you know, I just saw how my classmates treated her and kind of the backlash she received and realized that there has to be a lot of change on that front too, to kind of remove that stigma so that women who do face unplanned pregnancies, especially younger generations, know they have resources to go to, they have places that they that can help them and that abortion isn't automatically the answer. Um, so when I graduated university, I wanted to do something meaningful. I wanted to do a job that wasn't just uh, making money for the man and sitting at a desk all day and uh, found uh, a few pro-life organizations. My grandparents had previously worked at Campaign Life Coalition, so I started there and was their youth coordinator for about six years. And after the 2015 election, decided to leave to start a more focused organization that was solely um, driven to nominate and elect pro-life candidates because there was no organization that was doing that. And I knew that if we needed any, if we wanted to have any political change, that's what we needed to do. So in a nutshell, that's basically why I became involved and, and how it all started and, and how I got there today. Yeah, sweet. And as many people know, um, there are, there are a lot of different factions of the pro-life movement. You have the pastoral arm, you have the political arm, you have the educational arm, which is where a show the truth would be. It's where CCBR is. What is it that that uh, interests you about the political arm? What what forces you to gravitate towards being involved in the the political conversations, the the political activism and lobbying and all of that? Yeah, that's a good question because it was never a direction that I ever thought I would go towards because I did start with Show the Truth. I did start having those on the ground conversations, you know, meeting women who did not get abortions because of the images 
um, helping them, connecting them with their crisis pregnancy centers. Um, so yeah, all like that, none of that had anything to do with politics. But when I started working a campaign life coalition, I was introduced more toward to the political world and realized just how simple it was in Canada to actually nominate a pro-life candidate. It's not like the States where there's PACs and there's backhanded deals and money, you know, millions of dollars floating around where you really can't make a difference as a single person door knocking. But here it's the exact opposite. There are enough social conservatives, there are enough pro-lifers to actually make a difference and tip the scale in a pro-life candidate's favor every single time. So after I started meeting candidates, pro-life candidates who would lose by 10, 11, 12 votes on the regular on a regular basis, I really started to become more interested and passionate in focusing on that area because it was being completely dismissed and you know we were losing every single political battle when it came to abortion. Um, so I knew that if I kind of came at a crossroads, like either I was going to go in that direction to fill the void completely, or I was just going to kind of stick to doing the same things over and over again, maybe feel a little bit good about myself, but not actually achieve <laughs> anything substantial. For sure. And and so you've been leading um, right now for about five years now, right? And what has that been like? Uh, starting out on your own with a brand new pro-life organization, um, building momentum and becoming what, what I think most of our listeners and many other people in Canada will recognize as kind of the go-to spot for um, information on whether it's a leadership um, race like what we just had, or whether it's a, a federal election, provincial elections, you guys have really become leaders in that political sphere. And, and what was that process like? Was that something that kind of happened overnight? Or has it been a, a slow grind to get to that position, I guess? Yeah, I mean, we had been planning it for a little while. Um, but when it actually happened, it was scary. Uh, we didn't know if we were going to have any success, if people were going to follow us in any way. Um, we barely had computers to our name and we just sat in our living rooms um, working on, on this organization. And two really huge things happened that put us on the map like right away. And the first one was working very in-depthly on the Sam Osterhoff nomination, which was, I would argue, one of the biggest political upsets in Canadian history. Um, and the second was the sheer leadership race. And um, the sheer leadership race was significant because our former employer, Campaign Life Coalition, actively told people to not uh, rank sheer on the ballot, worked against him, said, you know, only vote for two candidates out of the 13. And we knew this was a losing strategy that it never gets us anywhere. And we knew Andrew Shear. we had met with him, we had interviewed him. And uh, we knew he had things to offer to the pro-life movement. And so when that results came in, it showed that only 40% of people listened to Campaign Life Coalition because they only voted for the top two pro-life candidates and then dropped off. But 60% actually ranked Andrew Shear on their ballot, which catapulted him to victory, and he won by less than 1% of the vote. So um, that kind of put us on the map because of our very straightforward, matter-of-fact, logical analysis of how to rank your ballot and why it's important to do so and how we can move the yardsticks forward. So um, thankfully, those two things happened. And then ever since then, we've just been on the rise to help candidates across the country. And we had a whole campaign to elect um, 50 pro-life MPs in the last election. We've been involved in almost eight, I think, eight leadership races and won the majority of them. 
Um, so yeah, it's just taken off from there, basically. So when you talk about a campaign, Alyssa, what do you mean? I, I mean, I know what you do, but share a little bit with our listeners of how do you get these pro-life leaders nominated? How do you get them elected? Um, is it boots on the ground? Is it political lobbying up in Ottawa? W- what is it uh, that you guys are doing at right now? Yeah. Um, so basically, our biggest thing that we do is help in nominations. So before a candidate is elected uh, it, or runs in an election or a by-election, they have to get nominated. So they run against other people within their party who also want to become the candidate for that riding. And oftentimes you have many people in the riding or even many people in the party have no idea that a nomination is happening. Uh, you only have to be 14 years old to vote in a nomination, which definitely increases our value since uh, SOCONs have big families <laughs> and can have multiple votes in one family. Um, so basically, yeah, we we let people know that there's a nomination. We vet the candidates. We'll door knock, we'll sell memberships for them, we'll do what needs to be done, whatever whatever that is, whatever their strategy is. Um, and we'll give them a significant number of social conservatives in that riding to tip the scale in their favor. Because, you know, not even exaggerating in any way, there are plenty of nominations where pro-life candidates have lost by 10 votes, even one vote. So all it takes is going into a church or talking to, you know, your pro-life friends and family, getting them all signed up. And that literally makes a difference between exponentially increasing the number of pro-life MPs in the House of Commons or not. Yeah. So you mentioned Andrew Scheer, uh, who became the leader of the Conservative Party. But uh, he, as we know, he stepped down after losing in the 2019 federal election. Uh, having lost to now Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Um, and as many of our listeners know, will know, the Conservative Party of Canada just recently conducted an internal in- uh, election. Um, that happened yesterday, actually this morning, uh, very early this morning from when we're recording, uh, to replace Andrew Scheer. So before diving into the results of the election, could, could you just share with us briefly, uh, I know many of us who are watching know exactly how this election worked, but just share with us a, a briefly how this election worked, who was on the ballot. Um, and in terms of the conversation around the pro-life issue and abortion, what each of these candidates stood for? Well, it was a really fascinating uh, leadership race in one sense because the mainstream media and pol- and conservative establishment blamed Andrew Scheer's loss on him being a social conservative, um, which I find laughable for many reasons. Um, so the so the general consensus was that, that the party needed to move away from these social conservative candidates and values. Yet at the end of the day, you had one extremely progressive red Tory candidate and Peter McKay. You had one sort of moderate and Aaron O'Toole. And then you had two very strong social conservatives in um, Derek Sloan and Leslie Lewis. So half of the candidates were socially conservative and very upfront, more upfront, I would argue, than previous the previous leadership races. And not to mention about how well that they did, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. So that was interesting in many ways because they wanted to just completely stay away from pro-life issues or social conservative issues, but they ended up t- t- being talked about on the reg- on a regular basis, but in a different way, in a way that was actually more conducive to the pro-life messaging that we wanted to put out there, in a way that resonated with a lot of people who would not particularly identify as pro-life. Um, and so it was a very uh, exciting leadership race in that way to me, especially when <laughs> everybody's depressed because they're all 
inside during a pandemic. You couldn't meet people face to face. It was also very unique and interesting in that way. Um, so yeah, I think the the results may not have turned out exactly how we wanted, but I think this probably would be the last leadership race where that actually happened. Bowman, and as we were just about to dive into the results here, then that, that I'm sure many people would have seen as well, but maybe share a little bit just for those who aren't aware of the ranked ballot kind of system and how that works in and in why it matters knowing about all four candidates and not just, okay, Dr. Leslie Lewis is, is my go-to. I don't need to know anything about, else about these other people or Derek Sloan or whatever it is. How does this um, kind of ranked ballot system work? Is it the same as it was last um, leadership election when Sheer was elected? What is this all about? Yeah, so it's the exact same system as when Shear was elected. Basically, there's 338 ridings across the country. Each riding has 100 points. So in order for a candidate to win, they need 51% of the points. Um, so if nobody gets 51% of the points on the first ballot, whoever got last place is removed from the race and all the number twos on that on those ballots go then towards those particular candidates who are still involved in the race and then are recounted. And if there's still no winner, the process repeats itself until somebody gets 51%. Gotcha. And and so going into this race, um, once the four, four contestants or whatever you want to call them, um, options were, were kind of laid out for, for Canadians way back when this was said. I, I don't remember if this was May or earlier than May or something like that. What was your initial gut reaction? Was this a matter of, you know what, this is this is going to be just the same old, same old sort of thing. We're going to bust our buns and and not make a tremendous amount of difference. We're going to be pointing towards like, oh, well, pro-lifers showed up. Or were you really confident going into the, the candidates that we had? Or, or what was your gut kind of telling you when this first got kicked off? Was, was this something that you were excited about or kind of nervous about, I guess? At the very first, my initial reaction was, I, I know that Peter McKay um, had been working against Andrew Shear, that he had been preparing for this leadership race for months, um, that his people were trying to remove Shear as leader. And that was scare, a scary aspect to me, because if he actually succeeded, then we would have been, you know, way back um, than where we started. Um, so that was that was unpleasant. Uh, but as we got calls about people who were thinking of running, there were lots of really strong people who were thinking of running. Um, some of them didn't because they didn't know French or had different reasons. Uh, and then I got a call from Leslin Lewis, and I had helped Leslin in the 2015 election when I was living in Toronto and she ran in Scarborough. And I knew the potential that she had. I knew the backing that she had. And uh, so I jumped on that bandwagon right away. And we started talking about um, ways to move forward on this. And the first, of course, was fundraising um, and meeting those initial um, amounts that you needed to progress in the race that other elected MPs were not able to meet. Um, so once we got a solid candidate and then Derek came shortly after and then others, uh, it made me feel a lot better about it, um, especially because I knew the strength of Leslin because I had worked with her prior. I had door knocked with her. So I knew it wasn't going to be just another situation of a pro-life candidate saying these kind of very strong things that might not resonate with a broad base of people 
And instead of potentially being the kingmaker, we could actually be the king. And that was an exciting prospect to me. Yeah. So so looking at the results uh, of last night's election, uh, other than the fact that uh, we had to stay up well past midnight to get the results, what happened? Uh, who won? Um, and what, what were some of the, the key factors in that person's win? Yeah. So what in order for Peter McKay to win, he needed at least 40% on the first ballot. He ended up getting 33%, which is a lot lower. Um, and Aaron O'Toole was not far behind with 31%. Uh, Leslin got 20, I think she was 21. And then Derek did well with 14%, which, um, he did better than a lot of people expected as well. Uh, I, Aaron ended up winning on the third ballot. Um, and, but it was a three-way race the whole way through. Um, I think at the end of the night, it was like, yeah, I think Peter had, Peter and Aaron had 11,000 something, and then Leslin had 10,000 uh, points. So it wasn't a, it was very, very close. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, you know, I'm glad that Peter McKay didn't win. And I absolutely know for a fact that because Peter McKay was so anti-SOCON, that's what, that was his de- detriment. He was not able to unite the party. People were going to rip up their memberships and not vote for the CPC because he was so, um, per- he was so radical on a lot of these issues that the party isn't party policy blatantly and said it in all his interviews. So he, he and the MPs that endorsed him were just completely out of touch with conservative voters and the grassroots. And I think because Aaron tried to be this uniting figure that would respect party policy in terms of life issues, even though he himself is not personally pro-life, was more palatable to a lot of social conservatives than thinking they had to leave or were going to get kicked out of the party. Hmm. So, so maybe would it be fair to say that that maybe we don't characterize this as like a huge win for the social conservative movement, but it could have been a whole heck of a lot worse, and that's got to feel good, right? Like it's got to feel good for the amount of time and energy and effort that you've put in over the last countless months—the phone calls, the emails, to everything that you guys have been sending out—to have dodged the bullet that really could have brought about the end of the the conservative party as we've known it, right? The the likelihood of, like you said, a huge number of social conservatives sticking with it through a Peter McKay era, super unlikely. And and so that, that's got to feel pretty good for right now, right? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's a little bit of a step back from Andrew Shear, but it certainly is not anything where we have to leave the party or start anew or, or be kicked out or whatever the case may be. But to me, the most exciting thing was that even though Aaron won, there was way more conversation and excitement about Leslin even after the results were were told. And I and it, it's exciting to me because as a social conservative, we're always labeled as kingmakers because we usually are. You have Tanya Granick Allen who helped uh, Ford in Ontario. You had Brad Trost who got fourth, who helped Shear win the the election uh, the leadership race. This time, we actually could have won the leadership race if a few different things had happened. Um, so it was by far the most exciting thing because our goal as right now is not to be that like kingmaker kind of behind the scenes people. We're there to actually win. We're there to win the nominations and the leadership and move this stuff forward. So, um, there's a lot that's exciting about it. There's a lot of momentum and progress that was made. And then there's like a few things, small things that need to be changed for next time. And I absolutely think we can win it. 
Cool. And, and so I uh, will definitely get into kind of the, the nuts and bolts of the major things that we need to change for next time. Are there, are there any like minor things that you look at right now and, and you just kind of like, oh my goodness, if, if people had only done this, it could have gone differently or like we only needed, I mean, you mentioned that, that incredible candidates have lost by 10, 11, 12 kind of votes. Was there anything like that in this election of like, oh my goodness, all you needed to do was like one little difference, not not you personally, but like mm-hmm. SOCONs or Canadians, if only you had taken this one different action or one other step, Lewis um, would have been our, our leader and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think the thing that hits me the most is that, uh, you know, Leslin, when Derek Sloan dropped off, Leslin needed 82% of Derek's number twos to be on the final ballot and she only got 75 and it was so incredibly close that if social conservatives voted for both candidates um then the results would have been different and i think that should be a big um learning opportunity for a lot of us who you know to to veer away from this all or nothing um especially and and the attacks on leslin too like there were certain attacks by social conservative um, leaders, I guess you could say, um, on her that were very unsubstantiated. And I think that as a whole, we need to work together more so that we don't end up both losing, but we can help each other uh, win and and actually not like be the kingmakers, but actually be the winners. So um, hopefully that's the big takeaway that social conservatives get from this leadership race. So 7%. Mm-hmm. of of people that that's what we needed in a what do we have 175,000 ballots get cast yeah seven percent we're looking at less than 15,000 votes that we, we didn't need to put her above Derek Sloan necessarily though I'm sure that probably would have done it as well I'm, I'm not saying that we should have been above Derek Sloan but yeah we needed 15,000 people that already obviously espoused the, the SoCon view in some capacity mm-hmm. just to, to make that switch to, to Leslie Lewis after that. So definitely a smaller number than, than I would have anticipated for sure. Yeah. Uh, Alyssa, you mentioned that Leslie Lewis is, is a pretty big story. I mean, she came in uh, not being a politician. She had run before, but didn't get a seat, didn't win. Uh, so she, she's not a politician at this moment, and she was running for the leadership party. People didn't think she would do very well. Uh, she's certainly surpassed expectations. We went into uh, last night, we went into watching this leadership race, very unsure of what was going to happen. And you mentioned it was a a, a race against three people. Oh, and, and it's a phenomenal story, really. She's a, a woman of color. Uh, she's very well articulated. She's extremely intelligent. Why why didn't we hear about her a lot? I mean, I follow follow the news all the time. I, I follow uh, you know Canadian uh, CBC, perhaps the Global News, all of these different media networks. This is a pretty big story. Um, why were they not uh, following what was going on or just sharing with the Canadian public who this Leslin Lewis was, Doctor Leslin Lewis? Um, a pretty phenomenal story. Where were they? Well, uh, she was conservative and she was socially conservative and there's no other way to put it. Like that's why they weren't covering her. It, she completely defies every single narrative that the media puts out there when it comes to conservatives, women, women of color. Like she completely, uh, blatantly goes against all of, all of that. So, um, of course they don't want you to know, <laughs> know about her. I would, I would be the same way if I was Evan Solomon, who's constantly telling, people that they're going to roll back women's rights or Charles Adler, who was like basically groveling at Peter McKay's feet, the whole entire leadership race. So 
Um, but you know what? Despite all of that, again, she still was the story of the day. And I'm and uh, I'm really proud, especially of Andrew Shear, because he recently on an interview on CBC called them out, um, called the into the CBC interviewer out by saying, you know. What, you should have been covering her more. Kamala Harris got, you know, 90% more articles written about an American than a Canadian that was running in your own country. And the look of embarrassment and shame she had was <laughs> exactly the most gratifying thing to me because it, and I'm sure it was to Leslin as well. But, you know, Leslin knew what she was getting into. She knew um, what the media is. And if you watch her interviews, she always stood up to them, similar to how Andrew Shear did at the end. And I think that that was also terrifying to, to them as well, because they're used to asking Andrew Shear, you know, what do you think about gay marriage and abortion? And him fumbling over his words and not giving straight answers and kind of trying to differentiate between personal and political. But Leslie was very was a straight shooter. I have these four policies. This is what I believe. These are what I'm going to put forward. Next question. And they accepted it. And that was a terrifying aspect to them. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, after that Andrew Shear uh, interview, all the media coverage after the winner was all about how Leslin was the story. So I think they were trying to save face. And I also don't think that this is the end of Leslin Lewis. So you'll be hearing a lot more from her. And hopefully the coverage will be different next time around. Yeah, you, you mentioned Peter McKay, and, and that was quite a story as well. He certainly was the front runner for quite some time if you looked at the polls. And one of the things that we mentioned in the very beginning of the show is a quote that he said, social issues hung around Andrew Shear's neck like a stinking albatross, quite frankly. Would you say that it was because of the SOCON presence during this election that uh, Peter McKay did not win uh, as he was certainly... Uh, um, pulled to it, as the poll said that he was was going to do for much of the campaign. Oh, 100%. I mean, if you look at the numbers, Sloan and Lewis accounted for 35% of the support, which was more than McKay and O'Toole. And Leslie Lewis single-handedly got more uh, raw number of votes in the second round than McKay or, or, or O'Toole. So the, the SOCONs had a very strong presence in this leadership race, arguably the strongest that has been seen in a in a really long time. And he just can't win by ostracizing them. And like, no, if you look at the number twos, no SOCON ranked him. Like, I would be surprised if <laughs> five ranked him um, as number two. So that's, you can't win a leadership like that. You can't unite the party like that. And the party establishment was so intensely behind O'Toole. It is very exemplary of how they are out of touch with grassroots voters and conservatives. Um, and and I also want to call out the pro-life MPs who endorsed McKay, uh, whether it was a personal support or not, it was the wrong decision. They had way better candidates to endorse. They were called out multiple times for this. They just lied and said, well, Peter McKay can beat Justin Trudeau. It's just their conjecture. Um, and uh, that's going to cost them, I think, as well in the future. Gotcha. And I would love to get into the questions of okay, how do we how do we get an even better candidate than O'Toole going forward? But is what do what do we do right now? So we we've got this leader, we've got O'Toole, and he's better than McKay. But do do SOCONs right now? We say okay, well we dodge that bullet, we go back into our caves, and we start uh, mining ideas for the next leadership race or 
is there anything that SOCONs can do with an Aaron O'Toole leadership um, in the CPC that um, we should be focusing our efforts on before we turn our attention towards, okay, how do we get this guy out of there and get somebody better in there? Yeah, well, the, like as long as Aaron doesn't meddle in nominations, I don't really care about him, to be honest. <laughs> like, our, our big thing is to get more pro-life MPs elected, and that makes a big difference. Because the more MPs that we have, the more likely legislation is to pass. Um, so as long as he doesn't meddle in nominations in the next election, which could be sooner rather than later, we get more pro-life MPs elected. Um, we start, we continue to move those yardsticks forward. That's a, a positive sign, something that we absolutely could not have done under Peter McKay. And then in the next leadership race, just to learn from the narrow misses that we had from this leadership race and to, and to support candidates that do have a broader appeal and that we can work with and that will put out uh, strong policies that resonate with the majority of of voters and not just social conservatives and stop wedging ourselves in so that we only have this small section of the voter base and actually, you know, win it, win the leadership once and for all. Nice. And then so probably shouldn't be swarming his office with, with letters and phone calls saying that, you know what, I hated you and you were a third person on my ballot, but like, whatever, we can be best friends now sort of thing. Like <laughs> maybe we're not trying to buddy, buddy him and pretend that we're his best friend forever. But at the same time, we can be, pushing him and holding him accountable on, like you said, those nomination races, who can run in different areas and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, even encouraging him. I mean, Lord willing, we get to a spot where maybe, maybe he does beat Justin Trudeau in the next election and, and he becomes the prime minister of Canada. And then, and then we get on him regularly to make sure that he gives a voice to, to SOCON um, issues and policies coming from backbenches and that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot, there, there are a lot of things behind the scenes you can do as leader. You can not fund abortion overseas. That doesn't have to be legislation. That's just something that you can have as part of your maternal mandate. Um, you can elect or not, um, you can appoint your justices that are more uh, conservative. I would argue that the reason why we have physician assisted suicide is because conservatives um, appointed liberal justices and not conservative justices. Um, so, uh, you know, all these things can happen, especially and not meddling with nominations so that we can build up uh, more MPs in the House of Commons. So, yeah, there's lots of things that can be done. Um, you know, there were some pro-life MPs who did endorse Aaron O'Toole at the top of my mind, like Garnet Jenis, who is a pro-life uh, MP in Alberta. What's interesting about that is I think that some of these MPs, these pro-life MPs jumped the gun too soon because they thought it's going to be between Aaron and Peter. Peter is, I can't, I mean, some pro-life MPs endorsed him, but, you know, a lot of them didn't. And so they automatically went to O'Toole. Garnet is in Alberta. There were only two politicians in Alberta who actually uh, endorsed Leslin. That was Dan Williams, who's an MLA in way in the boonies in Peace River. <laughs> and uh, Glenn Motts, who's like a MP in Southern Alberta. So uh, <laughs> very, very conservative area. And uh, Premier Kenny even in endorsed uh, O'Toole, even though he himself recruited Leslin back in 2015. Uh, and yet she was 100 points, a, a little over 100 points away from winning Alberta overall. So mm. she got second in Alberta and could have taken the entire province, despite the fact that she didn't have a lot of endorsements, and including the premiers. 
which is incredibly impressive. There's a lot of impressive stats like that. But um, it just goes to show you that pro-life MPs need to unite behind the strongest pro-life candidate and not who just and not just who they think is going to win. Indeed. Um, and, and I know there's a bit of a rabbit trail, but like it, it was blowing my mind when I saw people like Jason Kenny come out and, and Garner Jennings and whatnot. And then guys that, that I've talked to at town hall meetings and, and at more kind of casual places. And, and I've, I've had good pro-life conversations with people like them. And, and so for somebody who says that, you know, that this, leaves me with even less hope for the pro-life movement because, I mean, Jason Kenney was supposed to be the savior of Alberta and he was supposed to be passing pro-life legislation left, right, and center from from what I understood from all these pro-lifers that got on his bandwagon and then many of whom disappeared as soon as he got elected because they just assumed that he would keep um, the the pro-life um, vibe going and that they just kind of uh, projected a lot of their values onto him and, and trusted that he'd do it without any kind of encouragement whatsoever. Um, is there anything that we should be doing for the likes of those pro-life politicians? Like, ha- has that ship sailed? Is that Was that something that we're targeting to the party? We should have gotten on them right as soon as they endorsed somebody. And dude, what the heck are you doing um, endorsing this guy that, that clearly isn't our strongest pro-life candidate? Or is, that, is there anything that we can be doing now? Or, or what do you say to somebody that um, is frustrated with those pro-life politicians and how they may have detrimentally impacted um, Dr. Lewis's chances of becoming the next Prime Minister of Canada. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, you got to pick and choose your battles. So some of the str- some strong MPs, one that really disappointed me was Bob Zimmer in BC. He has he ha- every time I went to the March for Life, I always loved all his. Uh, speeches and he was always in attendance and yet he he endorsed Peter McKay and had no explanation really whenever he was challenged um you know that was very frustrating so but I think that it's important to pick and choose your battles to target the pro-life MPs potentially who um who kind of strayed like I would say Ed Fast for example like you you can say that you're pro-life but what are you actually going to do about it um you know if if somebody stronger wants to run in that nomination, potentially look at it and see if we have the numbers to make it work because there should be ramifications for bad actions, maybe not overall, but even in Alberta, you know, as a side note, when Dan Williams put forward a conscience rights bill, there were certain MLAs out here who said that they were pro-life who voted against it coming to the to the floor. Those MLAs have to be challenged or, or else what are we going to do? Like, we're, we're not ever going to be able to put anything forward. And this wasn't even a pro-life bill. It was a conscience rights bill. So if we ever want to see legislative success, we actually need to our actions and our words need to go hand in hand. We can't just get mad call write angry letters and then not do anything about it they actually have to pay for it in terms of losing their job and uh, make an example out of them and i think that's a <laughs> i think that's something the pro-life movement has never done and something that we, we we can do and that we should start focusing on yeah growing some stones and, and some teeth and and actually making people work for our votes right like i, I feel like for so long um politicians have been able to get away with the not even throwing pro-lifers a bone sort of thing. And I feel like the results of this um, leadership race can really be a feather in the cap of SOCONs and and really be something that can encourage and motivate them towards further pro-life action. They realize just how close we were to getting a, an incredible candidate and just how successful we were in preventing an absolutely wretched candidate mm-hmm. from getting in there. 
Absolutely. The the pro-life movement, the political arm of the pro-life movement has been so close recently on so many things like um, at, at the conservative policy convention at removing the line in the policy handbook that says a government won't regulate abortion. That was nearly defeated by 47% to 53%, this Leslie Lewis thing, super close. We are so close to actually achieving the victories that we need to achieve um, that all it need, all we need is a little bit more strategy, cooperation from pro-lifers um, who uh, seem to be more all or nothing and be more pragmatic, and we can actually take every single nomination that we want. We can pass as many policies at convention as we want, and we can elect uh, a leader that will represent us in the House of Commons. So we're very, very close. And I think we're way farther ahead than we were even five years ago. So when I look at the current cultural climate, it doesn't seem like the general culture really wants to have any sort of regulation on abortion. They they don't want to touch that conversation. And um, I think I can speak for pro-life, just regular pro-life laymen who look at the political climate and it, sometimes they have um, some, some pretty good hope in pro-life leaders who all of a sudden when they get elected get very, very quiet um, from, from what we understand. So when you talk about, uh, um, you know, the pro-life community has to collaborate a little bit more. You mentioned, um, you know, we, we shouldn't have this all or nothing approach. Is there anything else that we can do as a pro-lifer, like as just a, as a regular person with a regular job um, who looks at, you know, this past election and is disappointed that uh, either Dr. Leslie Lewis didn't get elected or Derek Sloan didn't get elected and someone else got elected who's not going to take the abortion issue very seriously. What, like, what can we do going into perhaps the next election, which will, um, who knows when that'll be? It could be next year or it could be a little later. Um, you know, what do we do? You know, where, where do we go from here? How do we, uh, you know, help out so that we can make Canada a more pro-life uh, country going forward and uh, really help with the pro-life leaders? Well, I think, again, just getting involved in nominations is a huge thing. It's something we can do. Nominations usually happen at least a year before a general election. So if there's an election soon, there's going to be a nomination soon. And uh, and that's solely what we'll be working on. So just being uh, in the know. We don't care about emailing people like 90% of the time. We only care when there's an election. Um, so that's something that people can do so that they'll know, okay, in my writing, there's a nomination happening on this day. Um, I need to be a member by this day. And this is the candidate I need to vote for. It's just very simple. And if they belong to a church or some community that they can bring us into so we can sell more memberships or they want to sell more memberships, the, the bigger, the better. So we can take a lot of those nominations and elect more pro-life MPs. And then we'll have a bigger pro-life caucus and the House of Commons. We'll have more endorsements for leadership races next time. Um, and we'll have more influence overall. So I think the big thing that we can do starting right now and learning from this leadership race is uh, to get involved in nominations for, for the upcoming election, whether it's this fall or next year or whatever the case may be. Gotcha. So um, a, a big part of this podcast is all about equipping people for conversations that they have on the streets. And, and I think that we've covered a lot of the really good theoretical stuff. And I think a lot of it translates into knowledge that we need to have, like you said, going into the next election, next leadership race. Um, 
I'm sure I'd love to bounce a couple of questions off of you that we hear on the street sometime. I'm sure that that sometimes they make your eyes roll and sometimes um, they make you say wonderful words that we can't actually have on this podcast because um, I know that we have a lot of children listen to this podcast. And so no profanity, please. Mm -hmm. Um, But I want to bounce a few of these off of you and see how you would respond to somebody who who kind of believes this, that. Um, for example, so in um, 2011, National House, um, Household Survey saw that approximately 22.1 million people in Canada identified as Christian in some capacity. And and I mean, who knows what kind of Christian that is? Who knows how many of those people who identify as Christians are actually pro-lifers or actually willing to, to get involved? But we, we had, what, 275,000 memberships in the Conservative Party. We had 175,000 people vote. Obviously, there's a lot of people who are disconnected. And I'm sure something that I've heard time and again, and I'm sure that this is something that you've heard, is what's the point getting involved? That, you know, we elect somebody like Jason Kenney, we elect somebody like Doug Ford, we elect somebody like Scott Moe, we we elect, I I don't remember who the premier in in Saskatchewan is, but like, we've got all of these so-called rock-solid pro-life candidates, and yet they never do anything for us. And so I've just given up. We hear that people have given up a ton. I'm sure that you hear you hear that people have given up a ton as well. What do you say to get them back in the arena? What What is your go-to and what can a, a podcast listener kind of internalize that, you know what, this is what I'm going to say to my mom to get her back engaged in politics. Or this is what I'm going to say to my, my coworkers who just want to complain about this and, oh my goodness, yeah, obviously a, a SOCON lost. Obviously they tantalize us with success, but even if she'd gone in, she were choked that kind of thing. How, how do you encourage people to stay engaged uh, when there's been a, a lot of examples of pro-lifers and, and SOCON politicians that have absolutely disappeared, like Peter said? Yeah, when people complain to me about that, I ask them, like, have you ever been involved in a nomination? Do you know who your MP is? Um, have you ever spoken to them? Because it's easy to complain that people aren't doing anything, um, but then you have to take a look in the mirror and ask yourself why. Uh, because if we aren't involved in the political process, we're not going to have any type of influence on politicians. Um, a big thing to remember, a big thing that people need to have is measured expectations. Just because we elect a leader that is either social conservative or very sympathetic to pro-lifers does not mean that they can just bulldoze their way through a party, pass whatever legislation that they want with no ramifications. Um, You know, you're not probably arguably the most pro-life leader that we've had since Brian Mulroney is Andrew Scheer. Um, He... There's a lot of things that people criticize him for, but there's also a lot of things that people don't know in terms of the amount of pro-life candidates that were nominated and that ran in the last election um, were were plenty all across the country, how, um, you know, he didn't meddle with the process in terms of getting policies to the convention floor that we've seen in previous years under Stephen Harper and, and Rona Ambrose when she was interim leader. So um, I think having measured expectations that a leader can only do so much and that if we want to build influence and pressure the leader to do the right thing, to support backbench legislation, to vote the right way, we need to fill their legislature with pro-life politicians. You can't expect one person to do it alone. They need to have a caucus. They need to have support. Um, they need to have support from the grassroots and, but most especially from their own party. Because if they go in this backroom meeting, some pro-life politician wants to put forward legislation and you have 90% of the caucus saying, hell no, I don't want this. 
you're not going to get it no matter how pro-life the leader is, no matter how pro-life the person who puts it forward is. But if that person wants to put forward legislation and 60% of the caucus is like, this is a great idea, then it's going to be put forward and it's going to pass and the leader is going to vote for it because that's the will of the party. So to understand the process better to get involved in nominations so that you can actually have influence, but most especially to have measured expectations. People complain about this with Sam Osterhoff all the time. Like, you know, oh, great, we have this young Dutch Reformed pro-life, you know, in rural, you know, Ontario. Why isn't he doing anything? Well, he's one freaking kid. Like, what what do you want him to do? He needs to have support. Um, he he had uh, different various positions already that has have made big changes in terms of the sex ed curriculum, um, in terms of his endorsement with Leslie Lewis, lots of different things that he's made lots of things that he's done behind the scenes, but you can't expect him to be this like silver knight and go in and try and change everything by himself. He needs the support, which is why it was so important to actually elect more politicians in the last Ontario election. Oh man. I, I want to hear some Rob Anders features from him under the backbench, <laughs> just like bellowing his, his um, beliefs <laughs> out there. Rob Anders is, is a, a friend of mine from Calgary here and, and he's got a ton of funny political stories, but maybe that's not quite the way that, that Sam's going about it. Yeah. Um, Tied to that then, so um, it, it does make me think about, you mentioned briefly there, the value of relationships. I, I don't know if you've seen it, but I, I feel like so often these SOCONs who get involved in these nomination races um, just want to parachute in and parachute out, right? That, that obviously um, a lot of the people that we're talking to have families at home and businesses that they're running. And um, uh, Peter, I, I don't remember what the line is that, that you share, but like, how many um, how many liberal protesters have twelve kids at home, or whatever the line is of like? Often, <laughs> conservatives have legit responsibilities that that we're trying to look after, and so we don't have a huge amount of time. But I, I wonder if you could share a little bit about the value of that relationship with your your politician, and not just parachuting in and saying like, "Dude, I, I dropped off like fifty pamphlets in in like a half hour, and now I want you to do every single thing that I demand of you." Um, well, like where do pro-lifers get off on this idea that um, all you have to do is show up for like a half hour on election day and somehow that voice is going to be more um, resonating than the voice of the red Tory who's in their ear constantly being like, hey, I don't care, Tom Kimmich, if you're hardcore pro-life, like I'm going to be in your ear constantly. Do you think pro-lifers got to get a little bit more invested and not just parachute in kind of the way they are right now? Or, or am I way off on that? Well, I think a big thing is, I think there's something in the middle. Um, it, it's funny because when you were talking, I was thinking about our last uh, volunteer of the quarter for right now. It was a lady in uh, BC who, who sold a ton of memberships for the last leadership race. And the day of the deadline, she was in labor all day and she was like, <laughs> memberships. and, uh, and, uh, and then like at the end of the day, just kind of went to the hospital, gave birth. Um, but <laughs> she was, it was super impressive. She was literally on the phone um, while she was in labor and, uh, and gave birth that night right before the deadline. So um, I don't expect people to be as potentially hardcore as that, but these are the types of supporters. And she's a young, a young woman from from BC. Um, so, but I think a big thing, a huge thing that we underestimate um, doing is door knocking, especially during an election. 
And I know it might sound kind of uncomfortable, maybe not to CCDR people because they're out like the <laughs> people, like door knocking is nothing compared to that. Um, but uh, maybe maybe it is more uncomfortable than than talking to to strangers about you know this issue. But door knocking is so incredibly easy, and nobody wants to do it. That if you even have five or six pro life volunteers go into a candidate's office to door knock that candidate is so grateful they're so indebted to you they love you they'll love you forever they're so happy that people are helping them um door knock and door knocking is super easy because all you're asking the people at the door is if they're supporting the candidate or not you're not debating with them about any issue or trying to you know you don't have to memorize all the policies in the conservative handbook you're just asking if they're supporting or not you're just identifying supporters um, so that's a huge thing. And I know that, uh, you know, our huge thing was recruiting door knockers in the last election. And many people who door knocked got jobs either at a local constituency office or in Ottawa with those MPs that did get elected or they became really good friends with them. They're still in touch with them. And so when something like this happens, a leadership race, these MPs are going to take the calls of those people who door knocked and asking them to endorse Leslin or endorse Derek way over those who didn't help them at all or they never heard of them before so it's just as easy as door knocking and volunteering a very few times to actually build that relationship and have that influence over a politician they'll be indebted to you forever (laughs) all right so for all of our listeners who are super inspired at this moment how can we get in contact with you how can we reach out to you to learn a little bit more about right now how we can get uh, involved in door knocking uh, and connecting with our politician in in a really good way. Um, wh- where do we reach you, Alyssa? Uh, well, our website is at startsrightnow.ca. Our, we have Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All is right now HQ. Uh, if you want to email me personally, I'm Alyssa at itstartsrightnow.ca. Um, but yeah, we're, we try to make ourselves as known as possible on the social media and and uh, keep our website up to date. Um, there's different internship opportunities on the Hill for pro-lifers specifically. Um, there's lots of different things that people can do in between election cycles, but most especially during election cycles. So um, if you're interested in getting involved in any way to build that influence, to help make a king of the next leadership can uh, of a next leadership race, uh, get involved, contact us, and we'll be happy to u- utilize you as much as possible or as little as possible. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Alyssa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. All right. That was Alyssa Globe from right now. As she mentioned, if you want to get in contact with her, go to www.itstartsrightnow.ca. It starts with you uh, to get involved in the political process. Thank you so much for joining once again. Thank you for for being a part of this. Thank you for your support. We certainly do appreciate it. We thank you so much. We're humbled by it. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out on Facebook or Instagram at the Pro Life Guys. You can find us at uh, the Pro Life Guys podcast on Facebook at Pro Life Guys on Instagram. Check us out on our website. Um, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get your feedback, as, as some of you have been doing. Get in contact with us. We love having conversations with you guys. So thank you so much. Cam, could you close us off? Any final words from you, my friend? Oh my goodness. Where do I even begin? No, um, hit us up with questions or comments that you've got as well. Like we, we appreciate all the incredible feedback that we've gotten as to, um, the fact that you're appreciating the podcast and all that sort of thing. If there are topics that you want us to touch on, um, hit us up, let us know what you're interested in, what you're um, concerned about, 
Um, let us know what your coworkers are talking about. Let us know what your friends, your family members are talking about and how we can be of service to you. Not only that, please, um, please join us for outreach and activism. There's a volunteer sign up on our website endthekilling.ca, which is the organization Peter and I work for. Um, and so hit that up and connect with us so that you can start applying these skills on um, street corners and doorsteps across the country. Um, all great radio show hosts have a sign-off line. Peter, I don't know what your sign-off line, if you had a, a radio station, would be. Um, I'm super into a song right now by a band called Dawes called May, May All Your Favorite Bands Stay Together. And I feel like that's such a great secular way to say, I wish you all of the best. May all your favorite bands stay together. What's my cartoon going to look like? <laughs>